Judges chapter 17. Now, as we look at Judges, we've, we just finished up with Samson. And we're not going to talk about another judge. <clears throat> what we're going to do is uh, the final curtain, if you will, in the book of Judges is in a, like an appendix. It gives us an overview of what the daily life was like, what the issues were, what, what things were going on. And you'll remember how we've said already that the scripture lays out for us that the, the word declares, in those days there was no king in Israel, right? And everyone did what was right in their own heart. This is where we're going to see that. And it gives us basically the breakdown of the children of Israel. What happened? What went wrong? What went sideways for them? So here's what you're going to see. You're going to see confusion at home. You're going to see confusion in ministry. You're going to see confusion in society. And all of those things lead to that breakdown where, where they, at the end of the book of Judges, they don't even resemble what they were at the, in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, they're conquering, right? They're, they're owning the land. They're achieving all the things God said they could do. But through a series of, of compromises, they come into a time of confusion. That time of confusion, folks, honestly, comes as a result of them not being obedient to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We talk about Deuteronomy chapter 6. You remember that's a scripture that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. You will love Him with all your heart, soul, and strength. Lays out for us that you're to, to talk about these things when you're walking the way, when you rise up, when you lie down. That you're supposed to lay the, the foundation of your home or your doorpost should have the word upon it. That the gate should be founded by the word of God. That you should bind on your hands the word. So what you do is guided by the word of God. That they should be frontlets between your eyes. Remember like that concept of headlights. That the word of God is a light into our path. Right? And it leads us and directs us. But what happened is. They drifted away from that. You're going to enter in at the time of Judges. So much confusion. Nobody really understands what God wants. So they just do whatever seems right to them. And the Word of God tells us, if we just do what seems right to us, we will always be wrong. Because the heart is wicked. Our heart is damaged. Our heart is broken. There's nowhere in Scripture where the Lord declares to us that He'll fix it. He tells us He'll give us a new heart. We put our faith and trust in Him. He takes our heart of stone and He gives us a new heart. What did the psalmist cry out to the Lord? Create in me a clean heart, right? Create, bara, create from nothing. Don't fix my heart. Make me a new heart, a clean heart, one that's not messed up. And so that's what we see as we take a look at Judges beginning in chapter 17. And we're going to be introduced to a couple of characters that ultimately lead us to some understanding about the, what happens later on in the kingdom of Israel when Israel divides. So let's take a look. It says, now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. Micah. Micah means who is like our God or who is like Yahweh. So he's named a, a godly name. A godly family at one time. Ephraim was the, the tribe through whom Joshua came. And so at one time, this great deal. But now we look into it. The names are the same. They're still naming their, their kids, according to the word. But that's where it all stops. It says in verse 2, He said to his mother, The 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, Here is the silver with me. I took it. So what we know in the beginning, Micah's mother had laid a curse on whoever stole her 1,100 pieces of silver now when you just to understand that value what is that equal to 10 silver pieces or 10 shekels of silver was one year's wage so 1100 shekels of silver is a lot of money and so he had stolen it mike had stolen it he heard his mother place a curse on it she said curse be the person who stole that money he was a little bit worried about that curse so he goes and he confesses to his mom, Ma, it was me. I'm the one, here's the, here's the gold, here, here's the silver, I stole it from you. And his mother said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So, 
one of the things you discover as you go through this, there's a bit of dysfunctionality going on within the family. Within the family. There's some confusion. There's some confusion about how things should be. And, and really, when we look at this, chapter 17 and 18, to me, is a, a direct, has a direct correlation to our own society. The confusion within our family. The confusion within ministry today. The confusion uh, within society today. It's the same to me. It's, a, it's the same because... They've lost that foundation of the Word of God. And so, what? They do what's right in their own mind. So mom places a curse. The son goes to mom, says, I stole the money. Mom doesn't want to come down too hard on son. So she says, okay, forget about the curse. May you be blessed by the Lord. Now, I want you to notice, she uses the covenantial name of God. That's capital L-O-R-D. That's a tetragrammaton. That's the name of God. Covenantial name of God. Yahweh. Yehovah, whatever that that is, that's what she uses. So this is not she's not just saying God in an arbitrary sense. Okay, so there is a concept wherein they they call on the name of God. But look what goes on next. Then it says, so when he had returned the eleven hundred shekels, he gave it back to her. Um, to his mother, his mother said, you know, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord. Again, covenantal name of God, uh, for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I'll give it back to you. So the mom says, well, you know, I set aside that $1,100 or that 1,100 pieces of silver so that I could get a carved image for you. Now, is there a problem with the concepts that are going on within the family? See, mom, son's named after the Lord. They're using the Lord's name. They, they probably look relatively good on the outside, but they are, I don't know, I would imagine tolerant to a fault. The fault being uh, they're saving that money so that they can have a carved image, a molded image, so they can have an idol. And we're going to see that's not all that they have going on. But they, they have this concept that it's just twisted. Why is it twisted? Because the scripture tells us as we, well, as we continue on, we'll see it more. But everyone in those days, there's no king in Israel and everybody does what's right in their heart. Well, God won't care. I remember my grandma telling me growing up, God doesn't care if you have a good time. God wants you to have fun. Now, to a teenager, that opens up a whole world of opportunities. Right? Because my idea of fun and my grandma's idea of fun were two different things. Grandma's idea of fun was sitting around playing bridge with her friends. My idea of fun could get you arrested on most days. So the, the concept is twisted. Why? So, so who decides what's good? Who decides what's fun? The scripture told us that that foundation of understanding good, right, righteousness, obedience to the lord is in the word of god and if we neglect the word of god we are going to slip away we'll slip into those same ideas i meet people today just like this this is how they'll come to me they'll say this is always a a trip for me when they say it they'll say i'm a very spiritual person have you ever heard that to me that's just jargon for i have carved images and and molding idols and every god's okay with me and you do what you want and you do what you want we'll do all what's right in our heart there's a problem with that, right? The Word of God tells us the heart is wicked. The heart is deceitful. The heart will lead us astray. So it, you just see the twistedness within the family, right? The family's all messed up. So he returned the silver to his mother. So the son's like, you know, look, I don't want the curse. Mom says it was supposed to be yours anyway, but he still gives it to her. Here, Mom. <clears throat> Here it is. It, he didn't want to hear about it for the next millennia. That he stole that 1,100 pieces of silver. So he returned the silver to his mother. And his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave him to the silversmith. And he made it into a carved image and a molded image. And they were in the house of Micah. So here's the house of Micah, a good Ephraimite. He's got an idol. We're going to see in a moment. That's not the only thing he's got. His mom, instead of using the 1,100 that she set aside for him to have an idol, she just used 200 of it. So I'm assuming she really didn't have the 1100 set aside, but she just didn't want to come down on her son very hard. She gives that 200, she gets an idol for him, she gives that idol, Micah sets it up in his house. This man, Micah, it says in verse 5, had a shrine, and he made an ephod, 
and teraphim. Teraphim are household idols, uh, the idols of your ancestors, the uh, um, ancestors that you may pray to or, or worship of the dead. So they had teraphim, household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons to become his priest. You understand the confusion that is within... This is a Jewish family who not all that long ago were in the land watching God move, the long day of Joshua, they're seeing miracles, uh, the... the uh, What's that river called? Jordan River. God's stopping up the Jordan River and, and the walls of Jericho falling down. All this stuff from these same people who wholeheartedly with all they were worth were following the Lord. But through generations of neglecting God's word, through generations of the Levitical priesthood not fulfilling their role. Remember, what was the Levitical priesthood to do? They had 40 cities spread throughout the 12 tribes. And what was their one role? To teach the people the word of God. Teach them the word. But we see Micah's confused. He don't know the first thing about what God's word says. And so he's just figures, I'll just aim at all them gods. And I'm, I'm liable to hit one of them. Good. So he's got himself a shrine. Now this is the other thing. A lot of, a lot of uh, theologians, as they look at this section of scripture, and they talk about the ephod. What they actually think he had was a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. That he had made a replica. That he had priestly garments. That he had idols set up in this shrine. And he's just trying to be a spiritual guy and accept it all. Everything. Whatever the neighbors have. Whatever anybody else believes. Whatever it is. I'm just going to accept it all. And so he takes his son. And he makes his son the priest. Now... At this time, not that far from where he is, in Shiloh, is the tabernacle, is the high priest, is the presence of God, is the Shekinah glory, is the place where they were to go to worship, is the place where they were to go to offer, make their offerings and do those things. Not that far from where he is. But you see, sometimes just getting to church is a pain in the neck, isn't it? I mean, you got to load up the family and get them together and go down there. And it's so much easier if we just figure out our own kind of worship. So we just do worship together. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But over the generations, this is what it became. Because they didn't gather together. They didn't come together as one. They didn't come together in, in desiring uh, uh, that understanding of what does God have for us and and the, the unity and the strength within a body where we can encourage and lift one another up, they left themselves cut off. And little by little, they just drifted away till what it resembled was nothing like what it was in the beginning. So here we have Micah. Well, let's add something else into the mix. Verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel. So nobody is following God as their king. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is a phrase that's going to be repeated several times in these next two chapters. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah. He was a Levite, and he was staying there. Now, remember I told you we have confusion in the home, and we have confusion in the ministry. Here is a Levite living in Bethlehem, Judah. Now, maybe we don't understand that that's a problem. Here's why that's a problem. The Lord gave him 40 cities in Numbers chapter 23 for the Levites to be spread around throughout all the tribes so that no one had to travel very far to receive the teaching that they needed from the word. One of those cities is not Bethlehem. Bethlehem's not one of the cities, one of the Levitical cities. He's not supposed to be there. He's supposed to be in a Levitical city teaching. But obviously there was nothing going on in those Levitical cities and he's wandering around thinking, I, you know, I should really be doing something. So he's looking for his place in the world. But as part of the Levitical priesthood, he's supposed to know what the word said. But you see, he doesn't even know. He doesn't know that God gave him 40 cities to live in. He doesn't know that he's supposed to fulfill a specific role, do a specific thing. So he's trying to find his purpose in life following the dictates of his heart. I, you know, I'm just following my heart. My heart's going to take me where I want to go. That doesn't work out. It doesn't work out. So this is his design. He's, 
He's a Levite, not in the right place. He's confused. He doesn't understand the word of God. So the man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay, look what it says, wherever he could find a place. Looking for my place in the world. I'm a Levite. I have 40 cities. I have a role. I have a job. I have something to fulfill. I have a call in my life. But he's not doing that. He's looking for his place because he doesn't know. Why doesn't he know? Because a generation before him didn't teach. And all it takes is a couple of generations not fulfilling their obligation to raise up the next generation. And you have a generation who doesn't know the Lord. You have a generation who's floundering. You have a generation who is not because they're not willing. They just don't know. They don't know because that role, that that responsibility hadn't been taken. Well, Scripture goes on to tell us, it says, He came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, Where do you come from? So he said, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm on my way to find a place to stay. I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for something to do. I'm looking for my place in this world. So Micah says to him, Well, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year. And I'll give you a suit of clothes. You have a brand new suit of clothes. And all your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Now what in the world is he going to be a priest of? He's going to be a priest of the family. What? Watching over the, the ephod that's supposed to have been worn by the high priest. And, and perhaps a replica of the, of the Ark of the Covenant covered with different molded images and, and, and engraved images and all these things in there for worship, and he has become that priest. Confusion. Because there's a neglecting of the Word of God. There's a neglecting of the worship of God. They're, they're not fulfilling it. The book of Hebrews tells us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, And then it goes on to say, as is the manner of some. So the writer of Hebrews says, some people are neglecting gathering together. Some people are neglecting the study of God's word. Some people are neglecting being able to come and be strengthened and encouraged by one another. And then he says this, and so much more as you see the day approach. Not just a day, the day. The day. What day? The day of Christ's return. He says, gather together. Be strengthened. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be in a church. But it does mean that the body of Christ is supposed to come together. Is supposed to study the word. Is supposed to worship. And when we neglect those things, the generation that comes after us is not going to have any idea of what the worship of the Lord is or even how to teach. So here you have a Levite who takes on a priesthood who's... (laughs) idol worship just straight up idol worship and why is he taking it i got 10 pieces of silver a year got a new set of clothes a place to sleep and everything i need to eat i'm set this is the job i've been looking for jesus would call that a hireling and a hireling is always going to go where the money is best Hirelings always going to go where the crowds are great. Hirelings always desiring that other thing. Jesus said, I want my sheep to have what? Shepherds. Not hirelings. Someone who cares. Someone who loves. Someone who wants to be here. Someone who wants to watch over them. So the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. So the Levite who is going to be a father and a priest for Micah, is younger than Micah, and he becomes like a son to Micah. Micah really loves this guy. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. And Micah said, listen, now I know that the Lord will be good to me because I have a Levite for a priest. The confusion that is happening for them Now, the reason I believe that these things are recorded for us is so that we can see. Now, we've read about these judges, and we read about the heroes, and we read about how God equipped them. And now I think they go back and say, but listen, this is how we got off track. And look how off track we got. 
And they lay out this story of Micah and his priest. Look at what happened when we don't raise up the next generation. And by the way, that responsibility is upon the entire body of Christ. It's not just on fathers to raise their sons. We have opportunity, whether you have sons or you have sons who are grown and you don't have sons anymore. That doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to raise up the next generation. Every opportunity we have to love on a child, every opportunity we have to pour the love of Jesus Christ in their life, we should be taking it. Every time we have a chance to mentor a young man or a young lady who's coming up in the Lord and and needs that mentoring, the Bible tells in Titus that the older woman should take the younger woman under their wings and teach them how to be a godly woman, that the older men should take the younger men under their wings, teach them how to be godly men. That role never stops. It never ends. And a healthy body, healthy sheep, beget more sheep. And that's that idea. Always looking for opportunity to pour into someone else. It's, we never reach retirement in the church. There's no such thing. No such thing. The only, when we Retirement is also our birthday in heaven. When you have your birthday in heaven... Then you're retired until Jesus tells you something else to do. But as far as here, we'll be finished at that point. So that's what we want to do. We want to have that attitude that says, hey, I want to, I want to do this. Now in chapter 18, the story continues. We get a new, a new wrench in the, in the story because in chapter 18, it shows us how confused the whole society was. Look what it says. In those days, there is no king in Israel. Ever heard that phrase before? And again, that idea is simply, Not that they didn't have a ruler. God was supposed to be their king. But they were not committed and submitted to God. They were not. God was added. He was an addition to their life. That's why they all had idols. Didn't want to make any God upset. No God was special. Especially not the one true God. Those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself. Why? Why should they be seeking an inheritance for themselves? We read about the inheritance, didn't we? Didn't God direct Moses to give the inheritance to each of the 12 tribes? Here's your land. And what did God tell them to do? Go into your land and take it. That's why Joshua came through the entire land of Canaan and wiped out all the core elements of armies. And all that was left was little tiny strongholds in each tribe's possession and then god gave him a possession he said now go take it it's yours wherever you go i'm with you that's what he said right but now we have this confusion we have the tribe of dan that we're going to be focused on the tribe of dan which is the first tribe to enter into idolatry and they are the first tribe to despise their inheritance that reminds you of a story bible says that there was once a young man that despised his inheritance and he came to his father one day and he said, Dad, I wish you were dead and I would like to have what I got coming now. The Bible calls him the prodigal son. Here you have the tribe of Dan doing the exact same thing. I don't like what I got. I don't like what God gave me. We can't seem to control it, so we're going to go get our own inheritance. Why? Why are they going to do it? Because they have no foundation in the Word of God. They don't understand that God's Word says, this is what I've given you, and I'll give you the victory. If you just trust me for it and walk in obedience, I'll give you the land. But they don't understand it. They don't hold to it. They never were able to do it. Not because they tried and failed. They never tried. They said, the Philistines are on one side of us. The Ammonites are on the other side of us. The big tribe of Judah is right down here. We're pinned in the middle. We're too small to take on all these guys. We don't even like this place. I don't like it here. So they decide they're going to go find their own. Right? I'm just going to find my own inheritance. They were going to seek an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. Now, all that states is they were unwilling to take the land. They were unwilling. Dan never, ever tried to take what God gave them. 
They lived where they could in it, and they didn't like it because they never walked in obedience to what God told them to do. So the children of Dan sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah and Eshtoal, to spy out the land and search it. And they said to them, Go search the land. So they went to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. Interesting that these people would find each other, huh? So here's the first thing we have. In the confusion of society, the first issue is covetousness. Covetousness. They, they wanted something else, not what they had. Don't want what God's given me. I want what God's given them. I don't want what God has here, so we're going to go look for something else. So when we look at the confusion of society, how is that different from our society today? Isn't this whole world full of people who want what somebody else has? Every single war that's fought, every skirmish, everything going on in the world today, every single battle is because somebody wants what somebody else has. Every time someone robs a house, every time someone does whatever they do, it's, it's that covetousness. It's that, it's that thing inside, that hunger inside that says, I'm not satisfied with what I have, I want what they got. And that's what's going on in the tribe of Dan. That's step one, if you will, this concept of the confusion within society. We have the confusion in the family. We have confusion in the ministry because they're not worshiping, because they're not founded on the word. And as a result, for society, that leads to covetousness. And that covetousness is what's going to send Dan over to Micah's house. So they're going to hang out with Micah. And while they're at the house of Micah, they recognize the voice of the young Levite. What? You mean they knew him? No. What it means is he had an accent. He's from a different tribe. So they could always tell the Levites because of the way they talked. Just like we could tell an Ephraimite. Remember with the stories in the book of Judges? They could tell the Ephraimite. Why? From the way they said a word. Shibboleth. They, they couldn't say it right. So they knew they were from Ephraim. Same way for the Levites. They recognized. Remember when Peter and, and John and those guys were talking and, and, the, and the Sanhedrin said they recognized them as men from Galilee. Why did they recognize them? The way they talked. The way they spoke. And so they recognized this young man. They recognized uh, his voice. And he's a Levite. So they turned aside and said to him, Who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? And what do you have here? So he said to them, Thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. Oh, that seems like a good idea, right? That's going to seem like a fine idea to Dan because Dan doesn't like their inheritance anyway. So they want to do what's right in their heart. The Levite wants to do what's right in his heart. So he has hired me and I have become his priest. So they said to him, Please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. Now here's one thing you can always know about a hireling. He has no clue what God has to say. He knows what you want to hear. And if I want to make more money in the ministry, I better tell you what you want to hear. And the more I tell you what you want to hear, the more you like me. And the more you like me, the more you're going to take care of me. And so that's how this guy is going to do his deal. So the guy says to him, the Danites say, tell us, are we going to be prosperous on this journey? Does it, does it say he went to the altar and inquired of the Lord? Nope. He knew exactly what God said immediately because he didn't ask him. And the priest said to him, go in peace. The presence of the Lord, again, covenantal name of God, not just using God in an arbitrary sense. He's speaking for the Almighty. The presence of the Lord will be with you on your way. Oh, God's going to be with you. The, the young Levite tells him, who's a priest in this mixed up family with all these idols. And then none of them have any clue what the word of God says or would even understand how to inquire of the Lord. But since you're a priest, I'm going to ask you. And so the priest says, sure. Yeah, be at peace. The Lord will be with you. That's easy to say, isn't it? So the Danites take off. They're going to go look for a place. So it says, the five men departed and went to Laish. That's Lebanon today. 
Same place. In fact, if you go to Israel, Laish is one of the places we go. It's a place called Tel Dan, where they still have the, the foundations for the altars that were built upon which they set two golden calves and where they continued in idolatry for their entire existence. The tribe of Dan. So <clears throat> here they go to Laish and they saw the people that were there, how they dwelt safely in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. Here's what that means. These people weren't bugging nobody. They weren't pestering nobody. And they weren't where anyone could help them. They were set aside on their own. The Sidonians. <clears throat> there were no rulers in the land who could put them to shame for anything. They were far from the other Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. So the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtaol, and their brethren, and said to them, What's your report? And they said, Arise, arise, and let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and indeed it is very good. So they've gone. Now, the second thing we, dis- we see from this, or the, in the confusion of society, is society is always going to seek ungodly counsel where'd they get their ungodly counsel from the crazy priest who has no idea what he's supposed to do who said oh the lord's with you go so now the tribe of dan thinks they're doing what god said god sent us so here we go we're going to go up here and they find this place filled with people who are not canaanites the sidonians were not canaanites God had not brought judgment against them. They were not the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. They were not the otherites, the termites, and all the rest of them. That the Lord had sent Joshua to go to battle. This is Sidonians. God wasn't bringing his judgment against them. So, we have the Sidonians. We have covetousness they want what somebody else has we have ungodly counsel so now they're confused and they're saying oh yeah this is a great land he goes on to say would you do nothing don't hesitate to go enter to possess the land now they start to talk with the same kind of language that joshua and moses and the lord had ultimately laid upon all the tribes go possess the land but it's not your land your land's down there god told you to go possess it I don't want what God told me I could have. Sound like anybody else? I want what they got. We want what the Sidonians have. Because there's nobody around them. There's nobody pestering them. They're safe and secure, quiet people. And we can whoop them. And that's ultimately the reason why they're going to go. When you go, you will come to a secure people in a large land. For God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. Now listen, let me tell you what Dan looked like. The Dan that they had is kind of desert, wilderness, deserty. The Dan they moved to is forests and rivers. It's beautiful. Spectacular. I mean, it's a if you were walking around, you would not go to the Dan that God gave them and say, this is where I want to build my mansion. But if you saw the, the Dan they moved to, oh my gosh, they're living up in the mountains. It's pretty up there, and the rivers and streams and trees, and it's lush, and there's all the stuff we're ever going to need. And where's your trust going to be? And the idols on your shelf. Because God gave you a land that was going to develop your character to trust Him. But you chose a land that was going to be easy. You know, oftentimes the easy road doesn't get us where we want to go. Most of the time, the easy way is not the way. Most of the time, God says, listen, there's a journey I want to take you on that's going to prepare you. Remember when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt? He could have marched them right to Kadesh Barnea. But that's not what he did. God took one full year... To take them from place to place, to teach them, to develop in them the ability to trust Him. So that at the end of a full year, when they came to Kadesh Barnea, they were the best prepared, the best place they were ever going to be to trust God and enter into the land. And even then, they failed. What would have happened if they had just went straight there? How long did it take them? They weren't very long on their journey before they were crying to go back to Egypt, were they? Were they? 
Oh, if only we could have the onions back in Egypt. When's the last time you felt like that? I have been starving. In fact, I went chasing elk this morning. And I didn't eat breakfast before I went. And I went down into this canyon. And I'm sitting down in the bottom of this canyon. And about the time I get to the bottom of that canyon, I realize I'm hungry. Now, my mind begins to flash different foods before my eyes. Never an onion. Never is it, oh, that onion. If only I could grasp that onion and take a big bite out of the onion, what? It's, it, I don't understand it. The only thing about onions is onions make everything smell like In-N-Out. Anybody ever heard of In-N-Out? Oh, man. Now, no. I might see a hamburger with onion on it. But my mind doesn't focus on onions. And so we see with the children of Israel, that it was just all these weird things that were pulling them back. They didn't care about the dumb onions or the leeks or the garlic or any of the other stuff. All they were saying is, I'm not satisfied with where God has me. And a real key for us to stay grounded, solid in the Word of God is to learn, like Paul said, to be content in all. Always, in all things. I have learned to be abased, and I have learned to abound. Wherever God has me right now, I'm content with where God has me. I'm not longing for something else. I'm not seeking ungodly counsel so I can get what I want. I'm just going to be satisfied with where God has me, because where He has me is where He needs me to be, so that I can become the man or the woman God wants me to be. What I'm facing is what I need to face right now so that I can become the man or woman that God wants me to be. It's not for our destruction, right? The scripture says in Romans, we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not we hope, not we think, we know. Everything is working together for me, for my good and God's glory. Even the hard things. Even the things that we don't even want to think about, they're still working for us. But Dan, they don't care. And so, they wanted something else. Covetousness is going to take them away. And they sought ungodly counsel to get it. And they've noticed that these guys are kind of weak, and I think we can take them. So, and the land is lush, and it's beautiful. And what is it? The, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Right? Isn't that what we see here? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Oh, it looks good. And the pride of life. We can whoop them. So, it says in verse 11, So 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there, from Zorah and Eshtaol, armed with weapons of war. And they went up and they encamped in Kirjath-Jerim in Judah. Therefore they called that place Mahane-Dan to this day. It simply means the camp of Dan. There it is, west of Kirjath-Jerim. So they stop in Judah, but nobody in Judah says, what are you guys doing? If 600 armed men were walking through Buell, you think somebody would notice? Well, it's no different then than it is now. 600 guys walking through, armed to the teeth from Dan, passing through, you know, oh, we're just passing through. Where are you going? Oh, Why? Because they look at him and say, well, they're just doing what they feel like doing. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? Just do it. If it feels good, do it. But that's the same thing going on in, in the life of the judges and in the life of these men. So they go through Judah. They set up camp in the middle of town. Nobody says nothing. And they pass through <coughs> Kirjath-Jerim. And they pass from there to the mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Micah just cannot get out of this story. Every time we turn around, they're bumping into Micah again. So in verse 14, Then the five men who had gone to spy out the country of Laish answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod and teraphim, or household idols, and a carved image and a molded image? Now therefore consider what you should do. Hey, when we were here last time, you should have seen the things this guy had. He had one idol that was made out of pure silver. I don't know. Maybe we should think about what we want to do about this. As we're passing through Ephraim on our way. Because we want what other people have, not what God's given us. 
And we already sought ungodly counsel, so God's kind of laid into our hearts, hey, go ahead, you can go. And here on our way, we run into Micah and Micah's house. He's got these household idols. So they turned aside there, and they came to the house of the lung, the lung, <clears throat> blah, blah, blah. They came to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. With 600 men prepared for war. That's the kind of greeting you want? What are you guys doing here? 600 men armed with their weapons of war, who were of the children of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. So there's the entrance of the gate. The five guys come walking up. Hey, Micah, how you doing? You know, talk to the Levite. On the other side of the gate, 600 armed men. I, I can tell you, this is not going to go well. It's not going to be okay with people who think they can do whatever feels right. Whatever they think is right, that's what they want to do. So here's the 600 men. And the five men who had gone to spy out the land went up. And entering there, listen, they took the carved image and the ephod and the household idols and the molded image. And the priest, he stood at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men of war. So the priest is standing at the gate where the 600 bad guys are, and he looks at them. And he looks at these five guys who have just got into the place that he's supposed to be the priest of. And they took all the idols and the ephod and all that stuff out of there. And he's just standing there. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus said a hireling would do. When the wolves come, a hireling runs away and let the wolves have the sheep. Not going to get in the way. Not going to cause any ruckus. He's there to make his ten pieces of silver. He's not there because he is honoring the Lord or serving the Lord or trying to teach or trying to lead these guys what the Word of God says. That's not why he's there. So he's out there at the gate with those 600 men. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, the molded image, the priest said, what are you guys doing? So they said to him, uh, basically, shut up. They said, be quiet and put your hand over your mouth. That pretty much is shut up, I think. Be quiet, put your hand over your mouth, and come with us. Hmm. Well, you got a better offer than Micah? Well, you can be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be the priest to a household of one man, or to be the priest of a tribe of the family of Israel? Listen, you got a small group here. But if you come with us, you can have a big group. Confusion in the family, confusion in the ministry. Then we go to confusion in society. Confusion in society starts with that covetousness. And that covetousness led them to ungodly counsel. And ungodly counsel led them to thievery and robbery. Right? They're stealing this guy's stuff. And then they're going to steal his priest. Because the priest is confused and he just wants to go where the money is, right? That's how we decide where God wants us to be after all. Isn't that right? Wherever I can make the most money, wherever, if this is a better job, if I can make more money here, then obviously that's where God's calling me. Or, or if, if I'm a pastor of this church and it only has 10 people in it, but it's a church with 200 people will call and say, hey, you want to come? Then that, obviously that's where God wants me to be. There's more people there. What does that have to do with anything? They have anything to do with nothing. Where God calls you, where God directs you, I don't believe those things change until God lays on your heart. And it won't have nothing to do with numbers. And it won't have anything to do with money. And it won't have anything to do with any of that other stuff. But for this priest, it has a lot to do with that. So the priest's heart was glad. He's like, woohoo, man, it's like payday. You guys come rob Micah, I get a new job. So the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod and the household idols and the carved image and took his place among the people. Oh, cool. I'll be your priest now. Micah who? I don't know. Micah who? I don't, I don't know nothing about Micah. So they turned and departed and put the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. So now they're headed their way to Laish, headed to where uh, they believe the, this particular priest who's with them now has directed them to go. So when they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. 
So now all of a sudden the neighbors, the neighbors didn't want to come out of the house while they were there. But when they left, they all came out of the house. To Micah, those guys just stole from you. You're not going to let those guys steal from you, are you, Micah? We should get together a group of people. We should go after them. That's how it happens, isn't it? So they get together a group of people after they left, and they go chase them down. And they catch up to, to the tribe of Dan. And they called out to the children of Dan in verse 23. So they turned around and said to Micah, What ails you that you have gathered such a company? Do you really have to ask that question? Why are you here? I don't know, dude. You just robbed me. You stole my priests and all my idols. What do you mean? What am I doing here? What ails you? What ails you? I don't know. We're just doing what's right in our own heart. We don't have a king that rules in our life. We do what we want to do. And this is what we want to do. So they don't understand. They don't understand why Mike is upset. So he said, you have taken away my gods. Do you recognize the, how stupid that is? Well, you stole my gods. Wow, they're pretty powerful gods. They let somebody steal them. I think maybe you should trust them for everything. Pray to them, put your hope and everything in those guys because whoever comes walking around can just pick them up and walk away with them. The, the scripture lays out to us in three different places, in Isaiah and Jeremiah and in the Psalms, the, the utter stupidity of idolatry. And people going into the woods and cutting down a tree and chopping that tree into firewood, but then taking a section of the firewood and carving it into an image and putting it up on the mantle and bowing down and praying to it. You just cut that out of a tree. You know it's not a God. It has eyes, but it can't see. It has a nose, it can't smell, it has mouth, it can't speak, it has ears, it can't hear. And those who worship them become like them. You become like the God you serve. I like that. I like that because if I serve my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if I serve the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to become like them. But I can take a look at my life and see, am I more like Jesus? Am I more like God the Father? Am I more like the Holy Spirit? Or am I more like these guys in the book of Judges? And I can tell who my God is. In those days, was there a king in my life? Or was I just doing whatever was right in my own eyes? Whatever made me happy, whatever satisfied me. So we have this growing conflict. Your gods have been stolen, which I made. Which I made. You stole my gods, which I made. I, I just And the priest, he made the priest too. And you have gone away. Now what more do I have? How can you say what ails you? So the children of Dan said to him, do not let your voice be heard among us, or angry men will fall upon you, and you will lose your life and the lives of your household. So basically they tell Micah, listen, if you don't stop complaining, we're going to kill you. Who is this? Is this a tribe of Dan? Is this a tribe that followed Joshua and, and gained victory in the, in the land of Canaan? The, the, their, the forefathers of which saw the parting of the Red Sea and the parting of the River Jordan and the collapse of the, of the walls of Jericho. They saw the long day of Joshua where hailstones came out of the heavens and wiped out more of the enemy than they could even, they couldn't even hit him with a sword because the hailstones were wiping them out. And I'm sure the fathers were passing on those stories to their sons and teaching them about the love of God and how God was watching over them. And now you come to the tribe of Dan who goes to Micah, who's of the tribe of Ephraim. They steal all his idols. Why does he have idols? I don't know. He's a little bit confused. He's got idols and a goofy priest, and they steal all that stuff. And now they get up, and they're headed toward a land that's not theirs. It belongs to somebody else, but they want to take it. You see how messed up the people of God are? Because they didn't hold firm to the word of God. They didn't hold firm to God's plan and God's design. They didn't hold firm to the worship. And they got caught up in covetousness. They got caught up in ungodly uh, plans. And they got caught up in robbery and thievery. But that's not where it's going to end. It just keeps getting worse. Now they're threatening to kill this guy. They're threatening to kill 
Micah because they stole Micah's gods. Then the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. So they took the things of Micah and they made the priest who had belonged to him. And they went to Laish to a people who were quiet and secure. And they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. Where did it ultimately lead them? To violence and murder. Those weren't people God said to go get. Those weren't people under the judgment of God. They weren't Canaanites. They were people minding their own business, doing their own thing. They weren't following God's plan, God's design. They were seeking the Lord through a false priest who didn't even have any idea what the worship of God was about in the first place. And it leads them, each step leads them deeper and deeper into depravity. It says in verse 28, And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon. So they, they couldn't count on their, the people, the, the Sidonians, because they were too far away. And they had no ties with anyone. So it was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rochab, and they built the city and dwelt there. And that is where Dan stays throughout the history of Israel. In fact, that's where Dan is today. Same place. Other interesting things about Dan. When you come to the book of Revelation and you see the listing of the tribes, there's a tribe missing. Tribe of Dan. They're just not, they're not there. A lot of reasons and a lot of ideas and a lot of concepts behind why that is, but they're not there. They're not there listed among those tribes. Here they reject what God's given them. They reject the inheritance that the Lord gave them. They go murder, kill, destroy, and take what doesn't belong to them. And they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan their father who was born to Israel. However, the name of the city formerly was Laish. Then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. Now, when we look at this, it's interesting because when we look at this phrase, it lays out for us his name, Jonathan, the son of Gershom. And then it says the son of Manasseh. And quite honestly, that's not possible. What we discover as we take a look is that through the the time as the scribes were copying this, it's the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. And the letter that makes turns Moses into Manasseh is added. It's written above by a scribe who doesn't want to attribute Jonathan, the son of Gershom, to the line of Moses. Because it's through Moses' line. Moses' son was Gershom. It's Moses, through Moses, that Jonathan comes. It doesn't matter, the, the point being, it doesn't matter who your grandpa was, or your great-grandpa, or your great-great-great-great-grandpa. That doesn't guarantee you anything unless each successive generation teaches the one that is around them the things of God. That even though somewhere back in his genealogy, I believe, he goes back to Moses. But look how far away from who Moses was he is. Well, if you don't want to accept that, look how far away he is from Manasseh. Look how far away he is from anything godly. This becomes Jonathan, this guy who we just read about, becomes the foundation of all the idolatry that will be in the tribe of Dan until they go into the Assyrian captivity. For, from this point, I mean, there's still going to be an idolatry during King David, King Solomon, during all that stuff that's going to come down. All those things are going to happen. Dan, way up there in the north, is removed. And in order that they don't have to come back down all the way down to Jerusalem to worship, they're going to keep worshiping their idols in Dan. And when the kingdom splits, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, you guys remember that? Solomon's son splits the kingdom. 
Jeroboam goes to the north, the ten tribes to the north. You know where he sets up his center of worship? In Dan. He sets up two golden calves. Sound familiar? We remember the golden calf issue? Set up two golden calves, and he uses the priests that go back to Jonathan to lead them in their idolatry, and they maintain and stay in idolatry all the way to captivity. From this point all the way to captivity. Because they rejected the inheritance that God had for them. They wanted what they didn't have. They sought ungodly counsel. They did all these things that they weren't supposed to be doing just in order to do whatever was right in their own eyes. And this priest who who just kind of stumbles on Micah, he ends up becoming the high priest of all the false worship that is ever going to be in the tribe of Dan. Because one guy back there said... I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And, and far be it for me to, to look at the Word of God and see what God's Word tells me to do. We don't always like what God's Word tells us to do, right? God's Word tells us to do some hard things. And sometimes we just don't want to do those hard things. We just as soon do something else, something completely different. But this is what's going on. Listen, this is the attitude of the people in the time of the judges. When we come into the time of the judges, look how far down the road they got. It's not that long. You look at our own nation. Whether you want to acknowledge or agree with the fact that it had a Christian heritage from the beginning or not, doesn't make any difference. Look how far we have come from then to now. Look how far we've traveled down that road. I remember a time, and it wasn't that long ago, wasn't that long ago since Ronald Reagan said, we need to set aside a day of prayer, a national day of prayer, that we're going to make sure that we call upon the name of the Lord to the time when we had a president stand up and say, we are not a Christian nation. It doesn't take very long. It's not all that long ago when every school, the main textbook in school was the Bible. That's what they learned to read. That's where the things would begin. It was not very long ago that every school was held in the church. And every church was a school. It's not that way anymore. In fact, that's despised. That's despised. And... It's not, listen, the state's fault. It's not the nation's fault. It's our fault. And our forefathers and those who were before us. Who did not maintain and fulfill that responsibility of raising up the next generation. So we come to today and we say, well, we're pretty messed up. And, and I, I, is there any hope? Sure there is. So there is. There was a day, and the kings of, of Israel, then they were doing all these crazy things, dumb things. It was after David, after Solomon, and they come to this young kid. He's a young kid. His name's Josiah. And Josiah is wondering, I wonder what it means to rule, and I wonder what it means to be a king. And he's kind of poking around in the throne room, and it's little kids, so you know, he was, he was a young kid kid and he was a king he's poking around in the room, and all of a sudden he knocks over at his vase and rolls out of the vase a scroll. And he goes, What in the world is that? And he picks it up. It's the word of God. They forgot it was there. Nobody had read it for years. And little Josiah sits down and he opens up that scroll and he starts to read it. And he discovers that that scroll said that all the kings of Israel were not only supposed to read the word of God every year, but they're supposed to make their own copy. Well, that changed the kind of king you're going to be. And so Josiah reads it and he realizes, oh my gosh, we're not supposed to have all these idols and all these temples and all these things. So probably one of the greatest revivals ever to pass through the nation of Israel occurs because a kid read the Bible that was lost, believed what it said, acted therein, becomes one of the great kings of the nation of Israel because he applied the things he read. It's never too late. We have a generation in a variety of rooms we got a generation out there in town. we got a generation wherever we go. Every time I see someone lost in that generation, it hurts my heart. 
Because that's someone God's calling me to minister to. And that's someone God's calling us to minister to as well. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you, praise you for an opportunity to study your word, to come in this place, God, that we would receive that which you've taught us, which you show us. Lord, that we would realize all of these things are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the age has come. You're calling us, you're saying, look at the mistakes that were made then, don't make those today. Don't make those today. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be the people you're calling us to be, to do the things you're calling us to do, to be who you want us to be, that your name might be glorified, that your name might be magnified until that day when you call us home, that we would be busy about being who you want us to be, that we would not despise our inheritance, but that we would be satisfied, content in the place where you have us, trusting you, to do what your word declares you will do. Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out in a song of worship. We invite you to hang out and worship with us. And then you can run wherever you want. But we'll be out here having a time of fellowship. As we go, uh, a couple of prayer requests that I want to just remind everyone of. Jeannie Reynolds is in the hospital. Uh, She's doing worse. And uh, they were hoping, actually, that it was pneumonia, but it's not. It's a cancer. So uh, we want to make sure to lift up family uh, in prayer, praying for them. uh, Whether or not this is the final chapter, beginning of the final chapter, or whether God's going to do a miracle, it's in God's hands. But... I encourage you to, to lift uh, them and the family up in prayer um, as you go about the week. And if you get an opportunity to say, hey, take the chance. Take that opportunity. And then, Rusty, you call me. What's the word? Looks good? Okay, good. So uh, just remember that. And uh, remember to pray for uh, uh, Amanda Hawkins. She's been having some stomach pains. They thought maybe it was appendicitis but it looks like that's not the case but one one closed door saying that's not what it is means there's still something going on so we want to make sure to lift her up in prayer as well yes ma'am uh-huh okay what's her name beulah hey let's pray right now Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you right now. Father, we, we lift up Beulah to you, Lord. We pray, God.